You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Good morning. It's really good to see you this morning and uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bible with you. Uh, Luke chapter 2. Welcome if you're visiting. It's really good that you're here. We trust that you'll be fed by God's Word and the focus will be on God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 2. This is the Word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Aquirinus, the governor of Syria, when all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, which he was of the house of because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn Heavenly Father, we ask for wisdom. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds as we study your word this morning. We thank you for the beauty of your text. Now help us to have our hearts open. Father, if this is new for us, um, just sitting under the word, we just pray for a special uh, anointing, a special infilling of your spirit, and that, Father, as we hear it, uh, ultimately you would be glorified and we would have a peace that passes understanding. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So last week we started something called the people who missed Christmas. We looked at Herod and we found that Herod missed Christmas because he was searching for all the wrong things. And we see that Caesar Augustus teaches us that he missed Christmas because he tried to create peace in and of himself. That he actually believed he was the savior. And really peace cannot be found externally. No matter how we try, it's internally found in the person of Jesus Christ, that we have a relationship to Jesus Christ, and then actually it affects eternity for us forever. And so Caesar Augustus missed Christmas because he created his own peace. So why would Caesar Augustus actually believe that he could create peace and that he was the savior of the world? Well, a couple of points on his life real quick is that he was adopted by Julius Caesar. In fact, he was Julius Caesar's um, uh, nephew. He adopted him. His name was Octavian, uh, originally Gaius Octavian. And we see that Julius Caesar believed that he was the divine Julius. So Augustus actually believed he was the son of God, son of the God Julius. We also find that coins were featured uh, using Caesar's Augustus image, which actually said divine Caesar and son of God. In fact, an Egyptian inscription calls Caesar Augustus a star shining with the brilliance of the great heavenly savior. And we see that during uh, Augustus's reign, that Caesar worship, emperor worship actually exploded. And they actually would call Caesar Augustus Lord and God. But don't forget, all of this was done externally. And so Augustus really believed that uh, the coins that he made, he actually believed he was the savior of the world, which we have to watch out for. We also see that Augustus tried to externally create peace by uh, creating a number of social reforms. He actually um, made sure that people who actually committed adultery were punished in some way. Now, he didn't do it because he was religious. He did it because it affected the status of a Roman. Roman citizenship. In fact, the saying was Pax Romana, Pax Romana, which means Roman will, Rome will create its peace. That was the major inscription. In fact, if you do some research on uh, Greek literature, you do research on the Roman time, you find how much 
that Pax Romana was literally a legal security. It wasn't a spiritual security. It created a legal security. And one of the other things he did is that he thought he could create external peace by doing a census. Now, a king who did a census would force all the inhabitants of that particular area, that, that, that what Rome, because they were over the Jews at that time, and so everybody was forced to go back to their lineage, their place of lineage. So that was an inheritance. So that's why Joseph went to Bethlehem. Can you see how God uses that, by the way? Even though externally these things are happening, God is still in control. God is providential. In other words, God's providence, it means that God sees it and God sees to it. So there's no oops with God. There's no plan B. This was plan A. So God can take the political situation in which we live and he could steer the king's hearts like a watercourse wherever he wants to go, according to Proverbs 21 verse 1. We see that God does not like censuses, by the way. And in fact, David tried to have a census in his day and uh, Satan incited him to have a census in 2 Samuel uh, 24. And we see that he did that because he was insecure. We always count where, what we have when we're insecure, don't we? When we're insecure, we try to count our money, or we count our status, or we compare ourselves. We ought not to do that, because instead of looking vertically, we often focus horizontally. And so we try to create our peace externally, which does not work. And so we see in the book of Jeremiah 8, 11, that was not just an issue with Caesar Augustus. This actually was an issue in God's own people. It says in Jeremiah 8, 11, they, the leaders and prophets, offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. There's a spiritual wound we have internally. They give assurances of peace where there is no peace. There's always gonna be someone coming along saying, I will be your savior if you trust in me. And by the way, we do that ourselves. If we build this house, if I get that vehicle, if I get this GIC, or if I, if I invest and save here, I will have peace. Now, those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but if they're the source of your peace, we're in big trouble. A house can burn down. The whole economy can go, right? I mean, your car can smash. Your, your marriage could fail. If we're looking externally for peace, we'll never find it. It's an internal issue, irrespective of circumstance. And so we see that peace takes four things. Peace, to have peace, to have maturity. And by the way, anybody here ever had a conflict with someone? Okay, it's not just me. Okay. Whoa, the whole row goes, yes, amen. We all have conflict, and that's our greatest struggle. But it takes four things. Four critical characteristics if you're going to work through peace. Wisdom, to know how to deal with it, to have insight and discernment. Strength and the courage to work through what we need to work through. Care, so we're taking care of others. We're not just brutalizing them. And then we need wholeness, peace. And we'll see that in this passage in um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to answer this question. Why was Caesar Augustus not the savior of the world? Well, there was a prophecy 700 years before he came uh, and he was king or emperor, and it was actually about the Lord Jesus. So just before um, we read this, do you see the very first word in verse six? What's that first word? For. So why is it there? When you think, when you see the word for, the preposition for, what does it say? That something, it's giving a reason, right? It's a reason for something. So verses one to five, it says there's doom and gloom. Things are going, the entire Israel's in, in, in Naphtali, and the entire uh, tribe is done, Israel is done, and it looks like it's over. But that's where there's ever gloom, there's glory, and there's hope. For this, though there's going to be these problems, something's gonna happen. Things that light is going to shine in darkness. And how is that going to happen? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And the throne of David and his, uh, his, over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. So what do we find why Caesar, Augustus, was not the savior? Because Jesus was. So what does this passage say? Number one, a child is born. That defines Jesus' humanity. This new king, this one who would bring in uh, uh, um, peace, we find that he, was, he could identify with the sin, he could identify with the hurt of humanity. Hebrews 4.15 actually says and reminds us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. What good is a savior that's never suffered? What good is a savior that's never gone through hard times? Research recently uh, has shown that in every aspect, in the praetorium where Jesus was actually beaten, etc., he was abused in every way. He was also sexually abused in that his genitals were shown. You know, you often have him dying on the cross and he has that, uh, uh, that um, wrap around his genitals, but actually that's not what happened. He was shamed and sexually shamed. He was beaten and bruised, and he did no wrong. You know, we sometimes try to, because we don't like this gory stuff, do we? Because we are we're Canadians, and Canadians, their number one goal is what? Comfort. At all costs, man. Yeah, that's, that's a pie-in-the-sky dream. When I go to Malawi, Zimbabwe, or South Africa, in the rural areas, or the Dominican, that's the last thing that's there. We, we face, we got to face, when I work with uh, young women who had, have been sexually trafficked and, and used and abused, that's the last thing they're saying right here in Canada. We need to grow a backbone. We need to realize that peace has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has to do with an internal attitude. But guess what? You might be here and saying, man, just get on with it. I need to go. Yeah, but you're the one who needs the peace. You're fragmented. I don't come from a culture of peace and comfort and happiness. And I, that's why I was leaving Canada. But I realize the Lord wants me here because you have these young women, these men, these individuals who struggle and need help, but you have to show it. What do you complain about? What do you whine about? Whatever we whine about tells us that we need peace. We need a backbone. We need to realize that people suffer and we need to be able to meet that need because of what he's done in us and through us. And so what good is a savior that was not born? But how about this? A son is given, not born, but given. And that's key because that looks at like Jesus' deity and his divinity. A uh, Hebrew scholar said this, the Hebrew emphasizes, uh, emphasis rests not on to us, but on the coming one. Child relates to his ancestry. Son expresses his maleness and dignity in a royal line. He is born as from a human parentage, but is given as from God. That's key. Jesus is God. What good's a savior who, who sinned? We need one who is spotless, yet we need one who identifies with us. The government will be on his shoulders. He will not only shoulder the government and he will be a good king, he will be somebody who will also shoulder the what? The cross. The book of Zechariah, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, the only one. That's what we want. We want exclusivity, a king who gets us, one who can bring peace because of who and whose he is. You'll also notice his name, not names. Unto us a child is born, right? A son is given, and his name, singular, that reminds us of Matthew, right? We will be baptized in the name of the Father, the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And, it, and that name captures the identity, the character, the substance, the nature, and the values of that person. That's the Savior who we serve. And so what are the four, what are four characteristics of this wonderful Savior? 
Well, the first is that he'll be wise. Remember we said, if you're going to bring peace, if you're going to mature, you can create peace because you have wisdom. Jesus brings about incredible, clear direction because he's the wonderful counselor. He is wise. And the idea of a counselor means a planner, an advisor, one who comes in alongside to give counsel and brings specific uh, and ex- uh, uh, direction, but he exposes issues. In John 2.25, when Jesus came, it said he did not need someone to tell him who he was or who that other person was, for he could see into that person. Isn't that incredible? He could see what that person was really like. Let me tell you, that's relief. Has anybody ever said to you, well, good morning, how are you doing? And you go, yeah, hey, good. <laughs> But you know you feel loud. You just had an argument in the car or on the way to, way to church. You know it's not good. You're financially struggling. But you're afraid that if you say it's not going well, people go, oh, they don't know how to handle it. Imagine being able to go, things aren't really good at all. Oh, sorry, here, you want to say some more? Yeah, yeah. And then you could pray for one another, be vulnerable. Oh, how about this? I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with issues. I'm struggling with marriage. I'm struggling with my business. I'm taking backhand deals, you know, in my business. I really ought to confess that, but I'm afraid what it will mean. I've worked with all those kinds of individuals, and there's a relief when you can be exposed. There is. You know that. There's a relief when you can be exposed, accepted. Yeah, for sure, there's a consequence, but there's a relief. There's a relief that you're right. Jesus will also form order out of chaos. Why? Because he's strong. He's the mighty God. That has the idea of might, power, valiant. He's an enduring hero. He's somebody, as Gary Smith says, the fact that he is a mighty God, the latter use of his same name to describe God himself is actually in Isaiah 10.21. It demands that uh, he is mighty God. It's never been mighty Moses or uh, mighty Abraham or mighty David. No, Jesus is called mighty God. And that shows that he can do something. He can form order out of chaos. And where do we read that, by the way, about God? That God forms order out of chaos. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's key. That, and the earth was formless and void. We see it was chaotic. God forms order out of chaos, so does Jesus. Well, how do we know that? In John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation, trouble, pain, problems, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need, we need a savior. Everything can be stripped from you. My wife and I have started from scratch nine times throughout our life. We're about to go to South Africa in 2020. Uh, We had sold our house, put $180,000 into South Africa over an extended period of time. Uh, We were adopting a little baby at the time as well, and the adoption didn't come through. Then COVID hit, so we weren't able to go. Um, That was the ninth time we started from scratch. We've moved four times in three years so far because we're renting. So I have no pension, no savings, no retirement, but I have no problems because I'm in the sphere of God's will. All that other stuff is froth. It really is. But if you live for those things, if your number one goal is what's in your bank account, you are now in prison. We either trust him with everything or with nothing. Now, I'm not saying that should be your story, but my point is, is that if we're not willing to do what God tells us to do because he's a mighty God who can take care of every one of our needs, if we have to play Lotto 635 or whatever it's called to be able to get a guarantee that we'll have something, we're in trouble. And by the by, if you can't handle a thousand bucks, what do you think you're going to do with 10 million? It's a fact. 98% of those who play the lotto and win are in debt five years later. No kidding. So if you're looking to the lotto or you're looking to him, which one? Right? Because either he's mighty or he's not. There's no, there's, it's, it's binary. He's not mighty, he is mighty. If he is mighty, you trust him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. True or false? There we go. Third, not only is he wise, not only is he strong, but he cares. Jesus is the 
eternal personal creator and sustainer as the everlasting father. Now it's interesting that Jesus would be called everlasting father, but in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, Paul says, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. In Isaiah 63.16, Jesus, God calls himself a father who never leaves his children. You see, the idea of father is the attitude that he has. He's the good shepherd who gives his life for his sheep. He lies in the gate. He is the gate. He is the door of the sheep pen. He'll take it, and that's what a dad does. He's there. It's interesting, this idea, analogy of God being a father uh, is actually found in the book of Revelations 4. It says that God on the throne, there are four elders that are looking at him. It's describing God's character, that he is a lion. There's a majesty to him, a strength to him. And, and, a, and a wisdom to him. He's an ox, and there's a strength to that ox. He's a man that he understands the needs of men, and he's intelligent, but he's an eagle. And the eagles, if you look at it, there are some species of eagle that when they make a nest, they'll take devil thorns first, then they put feathers, then sand, feathers, then sand, etc. And as the little eaglets get older and older and heavier and heavier, it comes all the way down, and they start to prick their feet, and they have to jump on the edge of the nest. The mother knocks the child off, the, the eaglet off, and the father swoops in and grabs them just before they plummet. And then they do the process again until they fly. That's what, that's what the, the, the eagle is. It comes in and it takes care of. Notice it doesn't go, oh, my little unji punji, are you okay? No, a good dad, go, let's go. That's why there's a difference between a mama and a papa. Because a dad will go, let's go. No, 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 is he okay? Yeah, he's fine, put some dirt on it, okay. That's what a dad does, you know, but then he picks his kids up and he holds them. As my daughter keeps saying, when we, when we put her to bed, she'll take my arm, she goes, I'm safe in your arms, I, hold me with your arm. See, she, she knows she's safe, she knows these hands are protective. That's what a dad does. He protects, he cares for, and that's what Jesus does. He cares and he protects and number four, so we see the wisdom of Jesus, the strength of Jesus. We also see the care of Jesus, but there's also the peace of Jesus. Jesus works through the complexity of all conflict. Conflict is not complicated. Conflict is complex. There are a number of moving parts. Whenever I work with individuals with conflict, I look at the eight slices of the pizza because it's systemic. It's never just one thing. Have you ever noticed when we get up upset with someone, this is the problem. Now, very seldom is that the problem. When I do coaching in businesses, I'll have somebody come and this is the problem. No, this is a problem, but it's not the problem. Often, if you keep going on about it, it's actually a surface issue. There's some areas that we need to look at systemically underneath, and, and I give them the different tools to have them assess qualitatively what that problem is. And that's what Jesus does. He's not a totalitarian ruler who dominates. He's also not a paternalistic parent who dotes. He's not a manipulative, entitled ruler who needs his ego stroked. And he's not a compliant, compromising sponge that can be taken advantage of. No, this ruler, this will be a ruler who brings peace and is characterized by peace. He is the Lord God who came and he gave peace. So, why does this matter? Why does all this matter? Let's look at some applications now for your life and my life. Why does this matter? How can we not miss Christmas and the purpose of Christmas by trying to externally create peace? How can we internally create peace? Well, we don't do it. He does it in us, then through us. So the first way we can have positional peace because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Notice the wisdom of this. In, in Ephesians 2, 14 to 17, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinance, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile to us God in one body through the cross, thereby killing this hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. 
And if you look at Colossians 1, which is a parallel passage, Ephesians and Colossians, for in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. Wow. Peace always has a price. Peace always had a price, and that's what he did. Jesus died for you and for me. He came to earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things were made through him that was made. That's John 1, uh, uh, 1 and 2. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the beauty of Christianity is that the, the God became a man and dwelt among us. He understood our humanity because God was holy and is holy. So God needed someone to represent him, which was Jesus. We needed someone to represent us to God. And Jesus said, I'll be the bridge. I'll be the bridge. I died on the cross. Next we see we have positional peace and progressive peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ in which we rejoice irrespective of the circumstance. This is where it breaks down a little bit. Most people will come to Christ like buying a lotto ticket, wanting something in, a, in, in advance or something in exchange. Well, this is not how this works. We come to Christ so we can live in a broken world. We don't come to Christ so things go better for us. No, we come to Christ so we mature. People say, whoa, somebody sold me a raw deal. Yeah, that's the problem with prosperity Christianity. You come to Jesus and all your life will be taken care of. Oh yeah, the Lord will just keep giving you money. Praise the Lord. That is hogwash. You come to Christ, you come to Christ because you want to have your eyes open so he recalibrates the lenses of your eyes so that you live a life in a broken world and can see what's going on. Does that make sense? That's the biblical message. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared right by faith, we have peace with God, positional peace, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are going to see the Lord one day. Now, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, bearing up under a load. And endurance produces character. That word character is a Greek word, dokimos, which means it's used for melting precious metals like gold. It's to melt it, and so the dross comes to the top, the impurities come to the top, and it is scooped off. And it has several, uh, uh, eight or nine processes to develop that character. And character produces hope, hope, assurance, does not disappoint us or bring us shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Look at verse six. For while we were weak at the right time, God's never late. Christ died for the ungodly, verse eight, and God shows his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ shed his blood. He came to earth to die. That's why he came. You and I are born in Christ, and we're going to die. Our bodies will die, but not our soul. We will give an account to God. And so that's key. Now, this may, see, this message may be just absolutely frustrating the life out of you because you want a Christmas message that talks about all the nice things that happen. Christmas sucks. It does for many people. You, you seem shocked at that. I had five or six clients this week they hate Christmas because they're on their own or somebody ripped them off or somebody hurt them or they're, they're split or their kids are in jail. Christmas is not the best time of year for many people. So I have to say to these clients, look vertically, not horizontally. Now, I'm not saying kids, just in case you think I'm not for Christmas presents and I'm the Grinch. What shall I wear? <laughs> no, I'm not that kind of guy. I just want you to know that I believe in Christmas and I think it's wonderful to be able to show my grandchildren and my children that I love them 100%. And there is a place for that, absolutely. But if you 
Oh, by the way, how many people complain about their presence? There's plenty. There's a whole thing on YouTube. I don't want this. Right? We are so unsatisfied. But here's the point. You have a greater gift. That's the gift of Jesus Christ. And not just the gift of Jesus Christ, but peace, irrespective of external circumstances. Number three, we have positional peace in person of Jesus Christ alone because of his promise. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. And my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When we're losing perspective, where does it start? Internally. Research has shown that when we're losing it in perspective, when we're anxious, it actually shuts off the front of our brain. Cortisol floods the emotional part of the brain, which the Bible calls the heart. And we stop thinking. Our left and right frontal cortex is like if in an airplane, both left and right pilots were taken over by, and they're hijacked and it just plummets. That's why we need our heart with him. And then he says this in John 16, 32, 33. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, fragmented, running, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I said these things to you, that in me you will have peace. In this world, you will have many problems, many tribulations. That word there is thalipsis, that which confines us and constricts us. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Number four, we can have positional and progressive peace if we decide whose and who we are by how we condition our mind. All problems start right here. It's our interpretation of that problem. Interesting, even with complex trauma and trauma, not everybody who goes through violent crimes actually gets uh, post-traumatic stress. I can't believe how many people tell me they have PTSD. Well, there's definitely some criteria and then complex trauma. I'm not saying they don't exist because they do. But it's in, the same person can go through the same abuse and literally have a different interpretation of it. Why? Because it starts here. It's our interpretation of something. And so in Romans 8, 6, it says, For to set or condition the mind and the flesh is death, but to condition, to set your mind on the spirit is life and what? Peace. So you, things can go wrong around you, but you can still have a different perspective. Even the unsaved believe that. There's a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was in a prisoner of war camp for um, five, six years. He went through three of the worst kind. And one day he was, um, they, what they would do, they would put the bunks four high and right across, so almost the length of this room. And so the bunks would be on either side there. And on the other side of that was a gas chamber. And they would have a lot of his comrades march past them, and then they would hear their screams as they were being killed in the gas chamber. And one day this guy comes by, and he takes a potato peel out of his pocket. He gives it to Viktor Frankl, and he says, you're going to need this more than me. And he goes, why would he stop and serve me while he knew he was going to die? Because of thinking. In fact, Viktor Frankl created, uh, he actually wrote a phenomenal book called Man's Search for Meaning, and also The Unconscious God. Some believe he actually became a Christian uh, just before he died in 1997. But the point is, how you think about a circumstance changes everything. Whose you are determines who you are. Most of this culture wants to find itself. No, I do not want to find Craig Brennan. Craig Brennan's an idiot. What I want to do is focus on the Lord that he changes Craig Brennan. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be finding my identity in me. Are you kidding me? And remember, whatever you and I choose, imagine if everybody's like you for a moment. Just stop. The entire world has to follow your type of thinking. Think of the last time you were a pain. You complained and you whined and moaned. Imagine if everybody did that. Think of how you deal with conflict. Imagine if the whole world followed you. Okay, you're the standard. Oh, my word. Wow, just stop. See, we don't think of that. Well, I'm my own person. No, you're not. No, you're not. We're all connected. God has, we, it affects, there's no such thing as private destructive behavior. Did you know that? There's a, there's a spirit spin-off. 
Thank goodness we're not supposed to be like you and you're not supposed to be like me. We're supposed to be like him. Thanks be to God for that. Isaiah 26.3, to you keep God in perfect peace whose mind is stayed, focused, sustained on you because he trusts totally is dependent upon you. Thanks be to God. So how do we do this? Number five, we can have positional peace and progressive peace through prayer. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see, let everyone see that you are considerate to all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. That's our next step is to face the Lord. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you and I can understand. His peace will guard where? Your heart and your mind in the sphere of Christ Jesus. Wow. You said, but Craig, why does it keep breaking down? Because of verse eight. Not because of verse eight, because we don't follow verse eight. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Logitsumai, weigh up, fix your thoughts, think about how you're destructive, think about how to get it right in our Lord. That's what that word means. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting it into practice, all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. That's a problem. We don't challenge our thinking. We believe what is false instead of true. We, we live with distorted thinking, like catastrophizing. Oh, you know what, if I do this and this and this, this is gonna happen. Oh, Aunt Mavis is coming, or Uncle Ben's coming for Christmas. When they came last year, they did this, this, and this, and this is what they're gonna do. You, can, you can't talk about this. Kids, remember, when they come, when grandma and grandpa come, don't talk about this. Or when your aunt, sons, don't. I mean, it becomes this huge weirdness. And we're all driving down, aren't we? Exhausted, by the way. <laughs> How's everybody? And you, oh, we, we better be leaving by seven, okay? I mean, it just becomes this, what? And we've got to calm it down a little bit and start thinking real things after God. Hey, Uncle Ben or Aunt Mavis is coming. Just minister to them. You know, just be thankful because they're, they're older and, and just minister to them. And hey, as we're driving down, let's sing together. Let's pray for the people who will be at this Christmas dinner. Let's think about our relatives. When's the last time, did, hey kids, when's the last time did we play, pray for all our relatives? When do we ask, let's just stop just a second. How about saying thanks and, and thinking something true? Well, dad, you said she was a pain. I know, last year I did, but I was convicted by the message this morning and I figured we should probably stop praying. Yeah, but that's hypocrisy. Yeah, it is. I was hypocritical, you're 100%. But guess what? There's grace with our Lord. So let's pray. And by the way, Skippy, have you ever been upset with one of your friends? Oh, that's different, I'm sure it is. So it's about having these real conversations, right? Not holy than thou, admitting we're all a mess and knowing that God is good and he sent his son to die for us. So number six, this is key, and this is the last point. We can have positional progressive peace with one another as we collaboratively work through conflict in a broken world. So we're not peace lovers. I'm not gonna ask you to lift your hands, but there are four types of people who want peace. Peace lovers, who compromise and want peace at all costs. I just want us all to be friends and why can't we get on? Not a peace faker, that's a passive onlooker and if you're asked how's it going, you smile and go it's fine, but you know it's not. Not a peacekeeper who sits back and looks at the conflict but does nothing about it. Or a peace role deflector, they expect other people to do the work of peace. So why don't you go speak to him? Why didn't you go do that? No. We, Jesus said he wants us to be peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So the key is to say, so where does all conflict? So if Jesus died on the cross, gave us peace, we can have wisdom, strength, care, and look at complexity of the wholeness of an issue. Why don't we? 
Where does all conflict begin? With someone around us or is it within us? Now, let me be very clear. If you have been the victim of a perpetrator, sexual abuse or physical abuse or abandonment or your parents abandoned you, you cannot reconcile with them most of the time because often those people are in denial, they're delusionary, but you can still forgive them. There's a difference. You can still choose to forgive even though you don't reconcile. Does that make sense? So that's, so that's an extreme. Well, actually, it's not such an extreme with people I deal with, but it is an extreme probably for many. The main problem here, where is the source of all quarrels and fights among you? Is not the source, James 4 says, is not the source of all problems because of the pleasures and battles that you have within you, in your inner being. That's right. I'm the problem. You're the problem. Last night, of course it happens this way, our adopted daughter, she has FAS and she was losing her mind. I've had five days break this entire year. I was a little fatigued and I've been working from two in the morning to 9.30 at night for the last five weeks. I have not had a break. So I was a little grumpy, to say the least, and my wife was triggered, and we all lost it. So I said, I'm done. I got into my truck, and I drove to my office. And I knew I shouldn't have, but I was done. Obviously, by the time I get to my office, I'm feeling guilty that I did that. My daughter gets a hold of me on, the, on a Facebook thing, and she said, Daddy, I'm sorry. And I said, I am sorry that I was triggered. That's on me. And my wife and I weren't talking at that point. We were still very triggered. And so, uh, not that it's ever happened to any of you, so that's good. It's just me and my wife. <laughs> and, and there we are having this, this issue, and I could feel within me, Renee needs to text me. Why do I need to text her? And she's thinking the same thing. So nobody's texting anybody. Then eventually I gave her a text and I said, look, I'm sorry that I was triggered and there's, there's some things obviously we need to address. And she said, I'm sorry. I said, then I got a hold of them both on Facebook. I said, look, I do, I do need to do paperwork, etc. anyway. Um, and they said, that's fine and we'll chat about it. But that's last night. Well, Craig, you're a hypocrite. Duh. I'm a recovering hypocrite. And so are you. The issue is that we don't look at me as an example, but him. That we focused on him, so I used his grace, his strength, was able to come back home, apologize to the family, because I'm, I'm the leader of the home, and we got it right. And we're still working on some stuff this afternoon, which is good. That's not a bad thing, but I'm the source of the problem. So you say, well, Craig, how do you deal with problems? How do we do this? Here's the next slide. This is how you do it. Remember we talk about wisdom, strength, care, and wholeness. James 3 tells us how to do it. If you are wise and understanding, there's the condition, if, the conditional particle, if. It's not automatic. How do you get wisdom? You fail, you admit it, you work on it. You fail, you admit it, you work on it. That's how you get wisdom. Hokma is the word. Sophia, it means to sharpen. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to oil this sharpening. If you are wise, an understanding of God's ways, prove it by an honorable life, by doing good works with a humility. If there's no humility, you'll never learn about someone, you'll never learn uh, from someone, and you'll never learn with someone. We have to have that humility that comes from Sophia, Hokma, wisdom. But if, if, there's another if, conditional particle, and this is important. In the book of James, you'll see a number of these ifs. If you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up, the truth, with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. Every conflict we have with someone starts with the principalities and powers of the air. That's why as Christians, according to Ephesians 6, we need the helmet off. Salvation, which covers up and helps us to think correct. The breastplate of righteousness that helps us our emotions so we don't lose it. The belt off. Truth, so we speak truth. Our feet fitted with the positional gospel of what? Readiness, Readiness and peace. And we need the shield off the faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and we need the sword off 
the spirit, which is the word of God. And in all of this, the dome, verse 18, talks about the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. So that's what we need. Because where there is jealousy, zeal, and selfish ambition, in other words, we're having an emotional hijack all the time, what is there? Disorder and every kind of evil of every kind. You'll notice in dis domestic disputes, when you have an emotional hijack, and anyone can have that, and you're flooded, you've flooded your emotional part of your brain, you literally can say things that you actually mean. So don't ever say, by the way, oh, I don't know who that person is. Yeah, you do. It's us. Stop saying that. It just shows you what you're really like. And what we should say is, oh, yeah, that is me. I can't believe I said that. No, no, no. You said it because it was always in you. No problem. Now we know what's in you. You have a dark side. You know the good you want to do, but that which you hate, you keep on doing. And if you do what you do not want to do, you see there is a war waging in your mind, making you a prisoner to what you don't want to do. Romans 7, 13 to 21. So thanks be to God, the mind that is set in the spirit is life and peace. So don't pretend it's not you. I don't know why people do that. It's like a schizophrenia. I said so and so did I. It's this, this, this double way of thinking. Are you kidding me? Admit it, it's you. I don't know who that person is. It's you. You're like that. Admit it. Accept it. And now how do you change it? Verse 17. But the wisdom... No, no, Craig, I can't. I can't have wisdom now. You cannot believe the things I've said and done. Uh-uh. There is forgiveness with the Lord. There is forgiveness with the Lord. There is no sin that you've done or I've done that he hasn't died for. But the wisdom that is from above is, first of all, transparent. It's pure. It is peace-loving. It is gentle at all times. Here's a big one. It's open to yield to different perspectives. It's not unilateral control. It wants to hear from people of what we're like. It's wanting to listen to perspectives of others. It takes in other perspectives. And the presence of many counselors is wisdom. That's such a key aspect. Tell me more. Help me to learn about my character. Then it's full of mercy. It holds back what other people deserve. It, it, it produces good fruits in deeds. It doesn't show favoritism and it's always sincere. And listen to how he closes this. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness and justice. That's how we do it. You can have all this stuff we talked about Jesus and what he did. It's shown in how we live in our homes and I hope they're a wreck. Are you kidding me? Life's a wreck. But you start to work on that wreck. And, and, and so vertically, you let him work in you and through you. In your husband and through him. And that becomes the safety for our kids. Or if you're single here today, you let him work in you and through you and you find someone to minister to. That's the key. And that's how we have peace. You cannot have peace externally without peace internally that the Lord works in and through you. What is your peace based on? What have you tried to do? Have you tried to, are you, have you tried to numb it with a purchase of some kind? Have you missed Christmas because you don't have peace within you? Close your eyes. Everybody close our eyes today, please. No one looking around. Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood for you and I. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he wants to be your Lord and Savior. And you have to just think of this. A, B, C, D. A, admit that you put Jesus on the cross. B, believe that Jesus shed his blood for you. C, confess that sin. Confess that attitude that says, I've tried to develop uh, peace externally, but it's never worked. And then D, you know what, Craig? I've got to make a decision. I've put off asking God, Christ, to come into my life for far too long. If you're that person this morning, don't let no one's looking around, put up your hand. If you're that person that says, I need Christ, I need Christ in my life, don't put that off. I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hands. Thank you. So I'm going to pray, and this is not a formula. So as I pray, if this is you, I want you to pray this prayer. 
and receive Christ as your Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my mind. Thank you for positional peace now. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you that he rose again for me. And now I surrender myself to you in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody's eyes closed, please. No one looking around. If you prayed that, just put up your hand real quick. If you, you believe that. I see all your hands. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for so many this morning who gave their life to Christ for the first time, some of them. And we thank you that we are born again once. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. Oh, how we need it. And now, Father, may these loved ones tell their loved ones that they receive Christ and they want peace. We thank you, Father, so much for what you've done in our lives. This is all about you, Father, and all about your Son. And thank you that you change us from the inside out. And now, Lord, for many now, they will have a blessed Christmas because of the Prince of Peace who has died for them. We rejoice with these new babes in Christ. And now, Lord, we want to live for you. And Father, we do confess for those of us who were believers that if we've had an attitude around Christmas that is external peace, forgive us for that, Lord. We confess that in the name of Jesus. And now, Lord, would you walk with us? May you bless us. May you keep us. And above all else, would you give us peace? And God's people said in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.